You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. We are live now on The Making of a Marketer. Happy Thursday, everyone. It's Andy and Jess back with you today and a special guest uh, to conclude our four-part In Shape series. We have Patrick Skidkovsky. I just had it right, right before podcast started. Patrick Skidkovsky, Scott Kovsky. I had it right, account executive with LinkedIn. Um, Happy to have you both today. Excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So Jess, I told you beforehand, I'm going to try and mask it as best as I can today for our live audience. I'm dealing with a little bit of a cold. I've um, got a little bit in the chest. It's a little more disgusting than it actually feels bad. Um, but, you know, kind of like brings back some like radio memories. Like, you know, I've been telling you, you know, um, you know, how I used to be a radio host. I used to do this thing. I'm trying to get my voice back together. Um, but you know, back in the day at 21, 22, like I didn't want to miss a show. So, um, not super sick today, but it reminds me of memories trying to do radio with the flu. Um, and I used to have the control board. I'd be like hanging over it like this. And I got my mic right here and I would hit the on button while hanging over it. And then I would talk into the microphone, um, and put together my energy for a 45 second burst and then come back down and hang over the, the control board again. So there, there's a point to this story, Jess, it's to not going to work super sick. And the other point is um, that it is nice to work from home and be able to at least get some stuff done this week while I've been kind of battling it up here in a respiratory. It, the, the radio life. I mean, this this sounds pretty wild, Andy. <laughs> So the thing is, is everybody's afraid that if you let someone fill in for your show, that somebody could take your show. So like, it's one of those things, like I was actually a fill-in host. So I was a Saturday, Sunday regular, but I filled in for like the full-time host during the weekdays. So um, I would come in and on the other side is like, you got to come in and show out. Like you don't get that seven to midnight slot you know, all the time, or you don't get that noon slot all the time during the weekdays. So you got to show out. Um, but that's for somebody else too, is that they come show out on your weekend slot. So it was like something where you like, it was like hustle culture, but also not my current culture. So we've evolved over time. I, I can already see a show, you know, the behind the scenes of radio broadcasting. I didn't realize it was so cutthroat. Yes. Anytime anyone can take your microphone, it's uh, it's an opportunity for them. But no radio talk today, Jess. We are talking about our In Shape series. Uh, auto bidding is our last uh, part of the series. And we're very happy to have Patrick today who has experience in this and, you know, is an account executive with our team and has been helping clients really master auto bidding. So, what we want to talk about today is why that is working when we talk about in shape and kind of just getting back to the basic mechanics of LinkedIn and ensuring that we're doing, you know, everything we can and checking the boxes. 
But I also wanted to use it as an opportunity to explain bidding and really kind of bidding, you know, philosophy, psychology, like, you know, what does it mean on LinkedIn when we're talking about the auction and what in how it, it works? You know, bidding to me means different things to different people, depending on what platforms they might have used in the past. So I'm real excited just to have this conversation today. And, you know, I think we'll both learn something too alongside of it. So real excited to have you today, Patrick. Definitely. Happy to be here. So I am going to kick it off with some questions. Um, the first one is, you know, just about you. You know, you're um, working at LinkedIn, of course, with us. You know, something exciting at LinkedIn is just there's so many smart brains um, at this company and there's so um, many different backgrounds at this company. It's been a real um, push for our C CEO, Ryan, um, to be able to hire a lot of people from diverse backgrounds. So tell us about your background how you got to LinkedIn and what you're working on now. Yeah, definitely. So uh, prior to LinkedIn, I've always I had been in more of like a hunter type sales role. Um, for several years, I had worked for a mid-size uh, managed services provider where provided different uh, IT solutions from full-fledged full management of our IT infrastructure to software for process automation to having an entire marketing team to essentially come in and become the marketing department for an organization. And that's what really started. I kind of sparked my, my interest in learning more and, and diving deeper into the marketing world. I shifted gears after that role and transitioned to a, a relatively younger company that was uh, in kind of startup growth phase that was in the recruitment marketing space. And tied to that was a recruitment marketing platform to a couple different industries. Uh, I just so happened to have really started to get into that role right around the time the pandemic started. And um, needless to say, like providing recruitment services during a pandemic was challenging, which kept my wheels turning and thinking about what would be my next play and next avenue. And LinkedIn has been a platform I've been on for a very long time. I think I started my LinkedIn profile when I was in high school. It's been something that I've always been extremely active in. It helped me land my two previous roles that I had before. Um, and I had two other close friends that I had known outside of work who were at LinkedIn in different divisions outside of marketing. Uh, but I, I learned about the growth that the, the marketing team specifically was having, um, the, the percentage of revenue that the LinkedIn marketing org is delivering comparatively to all the other orgs seemed like an advantageous time for me to join. And throughout my tenure here, I've been here, what, like uh, 20 months or so, 21 months. Um, so. Um, Decent amount of time now where I've had a, a good grasp and understanding of how organizations are really leveraging the platform. I've seen um, some pretty monumental changes to and additions to how we've grown the platform from how we're helping advertisers with attribution to helping make it easier to, to bid like what we're going to talk about today. Um, so it's been a great learning experience. You hit the nail on the head that being surrounded with like very smart people helps make the job a lot more interesting and enjoyable. And I feel like I'm still learning something new from my colleagues, peers, and, and clients that I work with every day. So um, it's been a great experience so far and really looking forward to, you know, the future here. And very cool to hear that as a newish person myself at, you know, seven months, Seven months, yeah, seven months with the company now. Um, it's exciting just to hear your growth over these twenty months, and you know, you know where you've seen it head, and your story, you know, joining on very much the same thing. It was 
something, you know, looking from afar, you really saw the LinkedIn culture and it was like, you know, that would be awesome to be a part of one day. So just cool to see it come full circle. Um, one more professional culture before a professional question before we jump into the meat and potatoes here. Um, we're asking this to all of our guests because in the times currently, uh, there are, you know, partners that are trying to figure out how to be creative, uh, whether it's during, um, you know, budget, budgets being frozen, lost, downsized, you know, companies going through different things. If you get stuck creatively, um, how do you get unstuck creatively? Like, what's your method to stay creative during, you know, all the different times we're experiencing right now? Yeah, one one thing I I tend to do, especially if you get into any sort of professional rut, is I, I keep this thing called a brag book, and I look back at what has worked for me previously. Um, I, I think that looking back and understanding what what the impact of positive wins you had was very important to get out of a rut that you're currently in. So. I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a creative person. Uh, I would definitely lean more on the analytical side of things where I'm very numbers driven. But um, for me, it's all, again, just looking back at what, what has worked previously, understanding how the market might've changed or how your day-to-day -day role might've changed. But looking, there's, there's key elements of things that you've done in the past that made you successful, that you enjoyed getting out of your day-to-day -day work, that you I think you got to put into perspective and make sure you're kind of going back in time to look at, again, what was working for you, what wasn't, and identifying those things that were like wasted times or wasted opportunities. And make sure you focus on what I consider like high payoff activities. I think if you log and understand what worked previously, it can help you really accelerate your growth and figure out what are those high payoff things that you can be doing day in and day out that help you professionally, that help you personally, help with you any sort of creative roadblocks you might have. So um, that's the approach that I, I tend to take in, in my workload almost every day. That was a much more constructive one than I was going to give Jess. I'm curious your thoughts, but mine was like, if I start like having like a slow period, like especially being sick the last few days, um, I hype up electronic dance music in my <laughs> office and uh, rattle the walls a little bit. And that like gets me like energized and going again to make it through the day. There you go. I, you know, I, I, I have a, a nice speaker over here on, on my desk and I, I'm definitely a music person. I listen to a wide variety of music. And when I try to get into the zone, it's music on full blast, you know, whatever it is, whether it's emails, whether it's knocking out different uh, proposal recommendations, whatever it is. So I'm the same way. Loud music certainly helps as well. And my take on this is we've busted our first myth here. Patrick, you are creative. Because journaling, I'm, I'm going to call it journaling, okay. but journaling daily and taking the time to write down what's inspiring you, like write down the ideas and uh, then looking back and reflecting, that is the act of a creative person. For sure. All right, let's get this thing in line now. Qu questions for Patrick. Um, we're going to start off. So auto bidding is 
you know, an option on LinkedIn. So if you're familiar with the campaign manager, or maybe you're not, maybe you're handling a team that works with campaign manager or uh, you've dabbled with other channels, you're not going to use LinkedIn. There's a couple of different ways you can go about running an ad. You can do an automated or max bid strategy, or you can use a manual uh, strategy, which places a bid. So usually when I think bid, you know, coming from um, other digital marketing channels in my past, I immediately think search, which search is like a huge, a huge, huge thing. You'll get eight people in a room to discuss search. They'll all have eight different bidding strategies and it's, they're all still correct. It's just kind of like your own, you know, philosophy of how you go about bid strategies. So Patrick, just to start us off, what would you say, if you're just explaining it kind of in layman's terms, you know, with the bid strategies on LinkedIn, how does it operate? And then we'll move into, you know, what you think the best practice is. Yeah, definitely. So I, I really see there's, there's three fundamental ways that you can bid on LinkedIn, you kind of hit on it, max delivery, manual bidding, where you are essentially saying, I do not want to pay more than X dollars per click, or cost cap bidding, which is essentially putting in uh, a limit to what you want your objective to cost. So for example, if you have a lead gen campaign, you put in a cost cap, what do you expect or what's the highest level of cost that you'd want to pay for that that's that lead right where i see max delivery being the most valuable is one new marketers to the platform um i have a number of organizations that i currently work with where teams are relatively young they might not have a lot of experience with linkedin and i think they become overwhelmed with knowing where do we set our bid at traditionally with things like display or search i think they have this this conception that you have to put in some sort of dollar amount right that it's it's not always the case. I think Max Delivery is really good in those cases because what LinkedIn is essentially doing is it's taking a lot of the legwork off of your plate and doing the work for you to automatically enter you into these auctions at a competitive enough bid to make sure we're winning as much viable as many viable impressions as possible. Um, there are certainly situations where it doesn't necessarily make sense, but for I, th I think for the vast majority of advertisers, Max Delivery is going to get you the best results, and it's going to minimize the amount of time you have to spend manually putting in and adjusting your bid regularly. And that's something that coming from a practitioner's end, if I was managing you know, 38 campaigns, I would have to monitor those 38 times. So there were actually times where we probably didn't activate spend or activate certain campaigns because I would go back to my boss and say, we don't have the capacity to manage it efficiently, but this is a, another day. So this is more of when everybody was doing manual bids. Uh, it was used to be the recommendation. So, you know, that's something that I want to lead into is, you know, there are some myths out there about manual bidding and automated bidding, uh, and they've probably changed over the last few years. So is there anything you can debunk, changes you've seen, you know, what would you say to somebody today that might already have some preconceived thought about what auto bidding is? Yeah, I think the one that I hear the most common is you just want to spend my my money as quick as possible, right? Um, you're both shaking your head. I think this is something that we've probably heard before. I think that is the biggest misconception that I hear time and time again. Really, what we're doing with Max Delivery is not only are we not trying to spend your 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 dollars and your budget up front right away. 
We actually work to spread out your budget as evenly as possible while still trying to maximize the results based on your campaign objective. So that is by far the, the I think, pain point or rather the objection that I hear from most advertisers when we talk about max delivery is that it's this assumption, you're just trying to spend my money as quick as possible without the, the thought of getting results. That's entirely not true. Our goal is to make sure that you're, you're getting the best results possible. If you think about it, if you're not getting the results, you're, they're more likely than not to not continue running your, your advertising campaigns on LinkedIn, you'll find another channel, right? So it's advantageous for us to make sure that we're getting you the best results while also making sure that we're maximizing the use of your budget over the time period that your campaign's currently set up. So when you're trying to get those top results, is there a best way for a marketer to use an automated bid strategy when they're inputting it? Yeah, I mean, when, I, when I'm talking with the advertisers, I think what I always recommend is to start with the maximum delivery strategy for your campaigns, because I think this is going to help you make sure, one, you're serving the most viable and valuable impressions as possible based on what you've allocated in your budget. Um, but, you know, I, I think there are situations, a small number of situations where it doesn't necessarily make sense, but for the vast majority of advertisers, starting with maximum delivery will, again, help you get a sense of what your approximate CPM and CPC will look like based on the audience segment that you're targeting. Um, it'll help you give, you give you a good sense of the impressions that you can serve in a given day or over a given time period. And again, it's one of those things where you don't have to constantly monitor it and adjust it based on the performance. There's a lot of added value for you where I don't necessarily like to use the term set it and forget it, but there's an opportunity for you to almost take a step back and let the, the system do the work on your behalf. And that's very much a, uh, a old school Facebook thought is when, you know, we see a lot of media buyers that come from the Facebook era, which is more me. Um, I'd say before LinkedIn, I excelled in Facebook. I dabbled in search and pretended I knew what I was doing. Uh, but Facebook was very much let the machine do its work. Like, don't try to fight the machine. Search is very much like you want to have full control over the machine and outbid your competitors. So what I've seen, I, don't, I would like your take on this too, Jess, with some of the clients you work with. It really depends on somebody's past, in my opinion, maybe past channels, uh, past places they worked and what their viewpoint is on automated bidding. Most definitely. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Andy, but what what Patrick was saying too, which I think is so key with the max bid strategy, is the the insight that you will gain around the audience, like understanding, like how competitive is this audience? How many other advertisers are out there trying to reach this audience? So I think, you know, letting the machine do its work in this case can be very beneficial for improving or enhancing your strategy. Yeah, and then especially if you're testing. That's what I always feel like is we hear, especially in brand, if we're going brand to demand, we hear a lot of testing. Like, will this work for me? You know, what can I get if I spend X? What is Y? You know, with bidding, what I found, especially when it's like a lead gen effort, um, it really varies depending on the market. So the market could go up or down, especially if I'm going after like a really niche audience. 
Uh, so, you know, one week I could be bidding $7.85 click. The next week I'm bidding $12.95. So I think this hopefully, you know, to what Patrick is saying, will give you kind of more of that range as to what you could get, especially if you're doing brand initiatives, because uh, there's a lot of different things we could look at, like views, CPMs, you know, retargeting audiences. Hopefully this will just allow you to test with a much more controlled set and then go back to your boss and say, this is what we can get for this budget. Final question, Patrick. So you've been uh, doing this now for several months. Um, where have you seen your biggest wins uh, with this strategy? Has it you know, been something where it's been brand or leads or conversions, or is it just, yes, it's, you know, helping across the board? Yeah. So I, I mean, I've seen max delivery be implemented and change the trajectory of campaigns across the entire funnel from, from bottom funnel demand to top of funnel brand awareness where clicks aren't even the, aren't even being measured by the advertiser, or I guess it's not really an important factor for the advertiser. Right. Um, I, I see a lot of success, or I guess the, a couple that come to mind have been when advertisers have been using a manual bid strategy. And one, they're either in that situation where they have, they are just, they don't know like why they have to continue to go in and change the bid or click through rate will be strong one day and then drop another day on, say, a mid funnel website visit type campaign. Or they're in a situation, and this happens a lot, where a number of advertisers say, look, we have budget that we need to use to make, and we need to make sure we're delivering enough impressions to our audience. We're not getting the impressions that we want over a given time period when we're using manual bidding. What can we do? Those are all situations where it's very easy to make that change to max delivery and where I tend to see the, the most immediate impact. Um, I think there are, again, situations where manual bidding does, is called for and necessary, right? Overall, though, in most instances, in most cases, max delivery is going to be a very viable option for you that's going to get you really, really strong results. Um, yeah, so I, I think that there's, you know, across the entire funnel, it is it is useful, it is viable, it's valuable, and it, we've seen results time and time again with it, with advertisers across all different industries, targeting all different types of personas from entry-level members to senior-level members. And I think uh, what Jess hit on is like, you know, our, our audience is changing, right? And uh, Andy, I think you mentioned it. We're like, one day you're bidding $7, the next day your, your CPC is $12, right? When you have max delivery enabled, it takes that guesswork out for you and that manual lift to, and puts it on the onus of LinkedIn to really do the work on your behalf and make sure we're serving the most viable impression to the audience in the auction. Here we have it, Patrick Skotkowski. Scott Kowski, I got it right. Um, brilliant words right there. We really enjoyed having you. And I, I, you know, like I said beforehand, was hoping to really learn something today. Is you know, I'm trying to learn a lot more about auto bidding. I, I would admittedly tell you I was a manual bidder before I came to LinkedIn. So uh, this was extremely helpful, and I know our audience will uh, have taken away a lot from this session today. Yep, I'm glad. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thanks, Patrick. Nope. Take care. See ya. So, Jess, I want to cue it to you now uh, because you have some history with auto bidding that I don't. So, I want to just get your take uh, on what 
you did when you started learning about this and utilizing it with some of the partners you work with? Definitely. Yes, I do have a personal connection to campaign manager and max delivery and the evolution of auto bidding. But first, I do want to address one of Patrick's points. He just made me think about, you know, like taking the guesswork out for the the customer, creating this better experience. It makes me think who out of all of us still does long division or like still does math in our head. I mean, I feel like this is what calculators are for. And so it just made me, made me see the connection or the tie-in between having, we have calculators now, we're not doing long division anymore. And that, that's how, that's one of the ways in which I view max, max delivery. And the thing is too, I would say, you know, with that, I think there's this natural inclination in the marketing world to want to look through things in like a three-day, seven-day, 10-day type lens. Like you might see one day where you let the calculator do it for you and you're like, all right, I should have been doing this all along. And then you have one bad day and you're like, okay, start to question it again. You know, anytime you make changes or tweaks as somebody that works in the platform, you're going to like start to question things is what keeps us up at night. So um, I would say, you know, this is, again, other channels talk about this a lot is let it do the math for you, but also just, you know, have that patience too. like continue to work with your team at LinkedIn. They'll, you know, LinkedIn's really good about letting you know when you may need to pull the plug or switch something or do something. There's very excellent team members that will be very honest with you on what to do next, but just give it that time to let the the machine do its thing. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So let me jump in to the personal connection. So before I became an executive coach at Stanford's design school, AKA the D school, I went through one of the programs there called the design thinking bootcamp while I was at LinkedIn. And this is, I went through it when I was on our talent solutions business in sales. So really working with customers on employer brand managers on a daily basis to ensure that their strategies were being implemented and were effective on the platform. So I'm going through this incredible experience. I had no design product background. And that that's one of the reasons why I took the class. And I was completely blown away by the methodology. And I still remember after the one week class, like calling my parents on the weekend, just giddy after the class was over. Cause I, I was so excited. It just, it changed my whole thought process and the way that I approached my creative practice. And my, my parents were like, we we haven't seen you this excited for a really long time. So I get back to work on that Monday after the boot camp, and I, I'm I'm ready to jump in. And the 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 real world project that I tackled was I noticed that 95% of our customers in the talent solutions business needed some type of help to launch their campaigns on the platform. And it just made me like question, like this, this seems to be a little off because 
we're going to market and telling all of our marketers that this is a campaign manager is a self-service tool. Mm-hmm. Anyone should be able to do this. So why are 95% of our customers like needing to use a LinkedIn a colleague in some form or the other in order to go live? So I came back, I interviewed my customers. I interviewed six customers in tech. So from companies like Meta, Google, Salesforce, and I Intel, and I and I ended up getting some really rich and meaty stories and just getting a better understanding of their perspective. And I ended up putting together a point of view, as we call it at the D school, a point of view based on the interviews. And this, I'm going to read the point of view out to you because this will give you a better understanding on how and in how the the prototype developed. So essentially, the point of view is, we met, I I won't say my customer's name at the time, but we met this person, an expert in marketing with 15 years of experience on Intel's employer branding team. We were surprised to notice he couldn't launch a campaign using campaign manager without an onboarding call. We wonder if this means campaign manager made him anxious about how he is spending his money. It would be game-changing to make him feel like the decisions he makes in campaign manager are the correct ones. So really where the game-changer came down to was instilling this confidence that marketers were making the right decisions using campaign manager. Mm -hmm. So from there, I did an internal brainstorm, collected ideas from all these great minds, and then I built, drew, didn't build, I drew a prototype, and I I don't have the image here for you today, Andy, but let me just tell you, I am not a designer, and this is about as low resolution as it could possibly get, and it actually ended up working. So I showed the prototype two customers, had them walk through it and got more stories and a better understanding of what they were thinking and what they were feeling. Then I did a little listening tour after this, because at this time I was in sales, again, had no connection to product and design. And I went on a 30-day tour where essentially I met with everyone I possibly could meet in product and design and shared with them the customer results, shared with them the prototype. And at the end of the 30 days, I was able to connect with the, uh, with the, the director and product that I needed to connect with. And I, I shared with him the prototype. And I told him, you know, I did this within a four day period. He was blown away. And more importantly, he he was such an excellent collaborator because he was very curious about this customer perspective. He had never spoken to employer brand managers before. So this really piqued his interest in like just trying to understand like, where are these people coming from? And in the prototype, we did include an auto bid 
feature. Yeah. And uh, I will say it is something that the product team was working on, but it was, it was one thing where we got the feedback from the customer, like some type of feature like this, where they could just click a button, set it and forget it. It would give them more confidence that again, that they were making the right decision, that they were Mm -hmm. doing the right thing. And the product team, like they, they were working on some type of concept like this. So I'm not saying that we came up with the, the, the you're the founder of the we are not the we are definitely not but what was really key was it validated when he saw this he saw the customer feedback it validated to him that wow this this is something that will really help with uh the confidence piece it will um you know help make the uh, marketers become more expert in their field and he was able to then expedite the launch like the, the first launch of the feature so i'm i am a big believer in in max delivery auto bidding and i just wanted to share with our marketers going back to patrick's point because we 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 hear it a lot around oh well this this is intended so you know linkedin takes our money or we spend all of our money quickly and i can i can confirm with you that this feature was truly driven by the customer and their feelings and their needs definitely and i there's a couple things that just came to mind like right away when you're you're talking through that but one of the things that from just like a macro um, it was a wonderful story, you know, of pulling your audience, seeing what they're saying, um, but always asking the customer what they think of things. I think it's something that even myself, like I can really take that for granted. Like, you know, like how powerful is it just to ask for like a survey, just ask straight out, pen and paper, draw on a diagram like you're talking about. Those are things that I think that we can sometimes forget in the marketing world. And it's really powerful to ask that because when you start to draw these correlations, it can start to change the way you develop your own products. Absolutely. And and what I will say about the pen and paper piece, because I'm a big believer in this and I'm a big believer in prototyping and uh, you know, massive credit to our designers and our design community. I mean, they, they do amazing things, but you do, you, again, you don't have to, be termed a creative or be a designer to do those type of things like you're saying and where it really worked is it was so low resolution that people customers didn't feel bad about giving me feedback because you know sometimes you may you may get a design or you may be asked to give your feedback and it's something that's like high resolution that's just about to go out to market so it looks great and people don't want to hurt the other person's feelings because they think, oh, mm-hmm. wow, this, it looks like they spent so much time on this. You know, yeah. I'll just, I'll just keep my feedback. It's like reverse psychology. Yes. I love that. So it, look, pen to paper, not being a designer, it, it truly works. And just in the, again, just having that curiosity and getting in front of your customers. I mean, this was, it was definitely a, a lesson for me and letting my guard down and it, it totally changed the, my approach to customers and my relationship with customers. Mm-hmm. I always thought, you know, being in, being in business, being in advertising, working directly with the customer, you had to put off a certain perception or you, you know, you don't talk 
about emotional things or like, like don't be too personal. Mm-hmm. You want to like maintain this level of like business professionalism. And that got thrown out the window oh. when I got, when I came back and, and really started to just wanting to learn more about like what, what our customers were feeling, not necessarily just what they were doing. And sometimes too, I think it's understanding the skill set of a customer. So somebody that's dabbling in the campaign manager, generally what your trainings are, are you're trained in creative, you're trained in copywriting, you're trained in persona building, you are not trained in bidding. And that, and I can tell you this from me being on the customer side, I saw that pop up, I was launching campaigns, and this was the first time on LinkedIn and I kind of stopped and I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do? And it literally held up campaign launch for days because I was trying to figure out what I'm doing. Well, we, you know, sometimes another thing I think we take for granted is now there's so many advertisers. As 2023, there's big money involved. But we talk about like startups or new companies or lower budgets or people just dabbling. When you hit that button, you put $10,000 spend on there you know, you might get one shot. And if you blow that shot for your boss, it's like, okay, we're not running that channel anymore. Like that's, that's how it works. Like that's, and there are companies out there that are in the startup phase and they're going to be running LinkedIn for the first time. And if they have the tools in place to be able to send their media buyer or social media specialist in there, and it relates to their world easier. I think auto bidding is something that really does relate to their world because if they've dabbled in these other channels, you are strongly taught to not try to override the machine. And I think that that's really, really important that you know these types of changes are made to allow efficiency on the end user's experience. Yes, going to that point, I'll just quickly say about my customer and Intel, because you were absolutely an expert in your time doing this. And so is he like when I, I, I say that he had 15 years experience lightly, but he also launched a Super Bowl commercial and, mm-hmm. and won like one of those contests. So like, we're, we're talking about a marketing expert, we're talking about someone that knows how to market. So it it, it, you you bring up a good point. It is important to uh, think just more broadly, not just about like the expertise. Like this is not just for people that are new to marketing. I mean, th- these these are people that are well established within the industry, where we're trying to create these efficiencies and and trying to just in- instill that confidence at every level. Yeah. And and time is money too. The other factor thing that I thought about there is, you know, efficiency. So we think of efficiency maybe as like a couple different campaigns. Well, you know, the case I just talked about was I launching LinkedIn for the first time. But here's another case is that you have a three-person social media team that's handling 35 accounts across three different platforms. So naturally in their mind, if something, if one platform takes two times as longer as the other, the way that some of these agencies bill is hourly. So if one platform takes two times the amount to run multiplied by 35 different clients, you're going to be charging twice the amount as an agency to a client to run this platform. So I think that, you know, we talk about LinkedIn, 
they want to do stuff that's smart for them. So, you know, you stick with the platform, get the best results, and it's efficient for you. So they want to be a win-win-win. And that's, you know, every channel in the digital sphere. Like, there, there's no buddy that wants you to just go spend money and lose because you spend money and lose. I mean, we both work on, work with customers. You know how quick the money can dry up. Yeah. So um, I think about it. I, I think about a lot of things from agency side because, you know, especially during these times as hiring gets tightened up, you know, you might be taking on more accounts, more duties than you were before. You have to figure out ways to make things work and you have to make them work within a scope. So I think that, finding a more efficient way to place ads and still be competitive um, is something that's extremely advantageous for LinkedIn and, you know, makes it, you know, if it could be 50% more efficient, that only makes it better for a client in a multitude of ways when an agency is working for them. Absolutely. That's an, that's what, so you'd find it interesting if you had that conversation with me. I probably would have said something about bidding, but I don't think that's where I would have held up. You know, fortunately for me, I had some search experience. So the concept of having to outbid your competitors when we were all doing manual bids wasn't like extreme or new to me. I had to think about it. Like I said, before I launched my first one, I'd take a second to make sure I knew what I was doing. But I got past that. What I would have asked for is uh, more automated copy and paste shortcuts. So if I wanted to take a campaign um, group and I wanted to run it in the U.S. and I wanted to run it in EMEA, but it has like 35 different creatives and three different target audiences and retargeting, and it's like complex. Is there a way that I could multiply that and copy it right over? I do know now there are ways to do that on LinkedIn, but that would have been the first thing I would have come to you with because I'd be like, I want to run all these things, but the setup is going to take me a while. How do I expedite that? So if I were someone talking to product shoes right now or talking talking to you, I would say, or even us as content solutions, what are expedited ways to do really good things across different regions and personas? I love it. It 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 it, it was part of the campaign or mm-hmm. campaign manager refresh. I I just will make that clear. But you bring up a very good point. Yes, all the all the copy and paste tools because. Uh, there's a couple things with that. Copy and paste is awesome until it doesn't work. Like when you paste a, 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 a ad that was supposed to be in run region and it ends up in another. So there are some pros and cons to that, but that was always, um, you know, our thing is just trying to run so much things at once, like your head can start spinning. So uh, my mind's always somewhere along there, but no, this was this was a great talk. I've learned a lot and I love your experience and how you helped spearhead, you know, this project and kind of see where it is in 2023. I'm excited to see what it can do for some of our customers now. Definitely. And we did it. Do you, we got through the series. Do you feel stronger? I I feel a little stronger. I definitely know a little more. It's good to talk about. So the InShape series, if you go through, we're on Spotify now. So just a plug, Spotify, Apple, iHeart, Google Podcasts. I can list all of them. I have it sent out everywhere, but 
the two that you know we'll usually be putting up are Spotify and Apple links. So we're everywhere. Listen to those last four. It was our In Shape series at LinkedIn where we're really trying to focus on a lot of the basic mechanics, uh, brand measurement. We talked about uh, auto bidding today. And what am I missing? I'm missing one. The LAN. LAN. There you go. LAN. Um, the audience network. So um, LAN is the audience network with LinkedIn. Audience networks as a whole. We talk about the, the theory um, and where we're at today. So I actually benefited a lot just talking about it because what it brought to me is we will talk to customers about these things over the next several weeks and months, but it sparked ideas because just talking it through, it was like, okay, if we thought of that, I'm sure someone else is thinking the same thing or hearing two other perspectives on a subject. It's like, okay, I didn't have that perspective. I should be bringing this into play. So it's been really helpful for my side. Absolutely. Totally agree. I loved hearing all of our guests different perspectives and you're absolutely right it totally sparks new ideas and then next week we're going to kind of venture off next week so we finished the in shape series we're going to be talking about creators and brand with creators on linkedin so this is something i'm really excited for have you just have you delved into just like the influencer creator realm at all with your expertise only do you count or what we're doing? Cons- consulting, not, not doing TikTok dances, but like <laughs> consulting like creators. Oh, yes. I, I mean, I've had some I've had some conversations for sure, more generally around brand, but the the, the creator economy or the community, it's very hot right now. Mm-hmm. I have worked very hard because several jobs ago, I worked in tourism. So tourism is like big influencer world. There's a lot of TikTok dances happening there. Uh, So I try to like really demystify it a little bit because we work with YouTube influencers and generally Instagram influencers. Uh, TikTok was super new, like really, really new at that time. So we didn't handle too many of them. Uh, but they were extremely advantageous for our business. And when I saw LinkedIn starting to add this more in the professional realm, it was really exciting for me because the organic bang for my buck um, and just like really cool marketing we got from them was exceptional. And the other thing that, you know, I don't bring this up in my sessions a lot because it probably just derails it too much when I'm with a customer, but I do take a lot of creative ideas from influencers because if you see what they're doing is generally months before companies start to do it, like the whole like TikTok, like look and feel and vertical and, and you know, text on the screen and the, the voiceover thing that they do. I just said a bunch of very unscientific things, but you see that popping up in other places now and influencers really started that. So I try to catch these trends as early as possible. I love it. And as we're approaching the Super Bowl, I, I almost feel like this the Super Bowl is the the organic influencer space. I mean, talk about influencing the, the, the commercials are such a huge part of any marketer's strategy. Yep. Yeah. I uh I'm I like the commercials. But this is going to sound really bad, Jess. I'm one of those people 
if I watch a TV show or Super Bowl sports, whatever, I I can be dialed in. Like a meteorite could hit and I'm not going to like budge. As soon as a commercial starts, I go go and look at LinkedIn, um, other social media channels. Like I zone out. Like it is this bad. It is hard for me to sit through an entire commercial break because I go straight to my social media. So what I'm going to do as a dedication to this podcast is I'm going to make sure that I watch them and actually like engage with them so I don't get sidetracked and I can have some analysis on it. I love it. I, I'm the opposite. When it comes to the Super Bowl, I, I, I don't normally watch commercials or am in tuned to commercials, but Super Bowl, I really don't pay much attention to the game unless it's like very close or mm-hmm. engaging in that way. But when the commercials come on, that's what You're I want to see. Yes. I mean, I'm honestly just from my old radio days, like 2010, I'm like excited to see Rihanna at the halftime show. So like, that's, <laughs> that's probably going to be my main takeaway this year. Love it. Well, there, there's an, an influencer yeah. right in your face yeah, talking right. about those halftime shows too. Yeah. Everything's product placement. Like yes. that's something count. How many times do you see product placement on the halftime show? It'll be more than a couple. There'll be a lot of it. So, but I know we're at time. I don't want to drag on too, too long, but this, again, another excellent conversation, Jess. I love talking auto bidding and shape series uh, was exceptional. Uh, again, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, iHeart, search, search the making of a marketer, working on a few things, intro music, voiceovers at the beginning. We're sprucing it up as we go. So I uh, thank you for just, you know, sticking on this journey with us as we build this thing and, and really get it rolling. It's It's been a lot of fun so far. Yes. I can't wait to continue. Until next time, Jess. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye, Andy. See ya. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.